for. And if, if, again, if you brought your Bibles, that's fine. If you didn't, that's fine too, because they got the verses up there. But I've been preaching since I was 19 years old. I am 27 now. <laughs> I've been preaching for 31 years, longer than I've been alive. How about that? And, uh, and I was racking my brain on the way up here and for the past couple of days trying to figure out if there was ever a time when I took my text and any message from any place in Revelation past chapter 5. And uh, I really think this is the first time. So after 30 years of preaching, I'm still having firsts. I guess that's either it's a good thing or a bad thing. I guess we'll find out tonight. Revelation 13 and verse 1 says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blaspheme. And the beast which I saw was likened to a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power in his seat and great authority. Verse 3 says, And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. Now watch what happens in verse 4. And they worshipped the dragon. You understand this is still yet to happen. And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast who was able to make war with him? I want to talk to you tonight for a few minutes on this title, The Rising Power of the Beast. Now, the first couple minutes, this is going to seem like kind of a negative Nelly message, but we're going to take a very sharp turn about three-quarters of the way through. So just bear with me for a few minutes here tonight. From the beginning, Satan's ambition was always to rule and reign as, as God, as Lord, as, as a sovereign God. And of course, we know how that worked out for him. Uh, Satan said, I will, in, in, you know, from, from Isaiah chapter 14, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, the son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? Verse 13, you have said in your heart, this is what Satan said while he was in heaven, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. So to ascend, to rule, to reign, and be worshipped as supreme was his ultimate heartbeat and desire. That was what he was wanting while he was in heaven. And there are five I wills of Satan. Now how many knows that there's only room in the universe for one sovereign will. And that is the will of God. Because every other type of will ends in chaos and tragedy. But God's will is a place of peace and comfort. And if you follow his will, then you are following a good thing. But that was, that was Satan's original intent. Now, we'll come back to that in just a moment. But I believe the dragon in our text represents Satan and his kingdom, and the beast in Revelation represents an end-time world empire ruled by the Antichrist himself. Now, if you have heard me teach you a Bible study, a personal Bible study, you will know that I admit that I am not an eschatologist. I am not that guy that, you know, breaks out the charts and goes through Revelation and talks about the third toe of Daniel's vision means this, and the second finger means this. And God bless their hearts of those that do that, but that is not me. 
Okay, so I, I will say that my understanding of eschatological events is probably not perfect. So if it doesn't line up with yours, just pray for me. I need the prayer, and you probably need the practice. <laughs> That's the truth, isn't it? <laughs> but I believe that very soon, all of the world will fall down and worship the dragon and the beast. Now, as I said, uh, the dragon in our text represents Satan himself and his kingdom. You, you know, some people may say that it represents, you know, uh, uh, the Antichrist. But certainly, at least the beast represents an Antichrist or the Antichrist that is yet to come. And very soon, the whole world will fall down and they will worship this man and this false system. Later in Revelation, it talks about... A false prophet and how there will be a false prophet that precedes the Antichrist. Similar to how John the Baptist was, you know, the last of the great prophets under the old covenant before Jesus died on the cross and initiated that new covenant on the cross. How many know that they were under the old covenant until Jesus got up out of that grave? Okay. And so John the Baptist was the last of the greatest prophets uh, right up until until the time of the Lord. But there will be a false prophet that precedes this Antichrist, similar to John the Baptist's ministry that prepared the way of the Lord. But how will this happen? How will the world reach a place where they are literally willing to fall down and worship a man? Now, in many ways, we're already doing that with baseball players, and again, I'm not preaching on sports tonight, but if it's your God and if you worship it above God, or if you worship it at all, then it is idolatry. But how will this happen? How will it happen? Well, there are several things that, that have to happen first. But this one thing we know from 2 Timothy 3 and, 3, 3 and 13. But evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, I believe it will be a slow fade into moral decay. Each generation will wax worse and worse over time, very slowly, until it picks up pace very quickly, and suddenly, over a short period of time, we will see a major decline in morality. It will seem as though we went to bed on Friday night and we woke up Saturday morning to a whole new world. And that's what it's going to be like. And as morality declines and waxes worse and worse, the power of the beast will slowly begin to rise. Look with me to the book of Mark chapter 13, a very misunderstood parable that I'm going to hope to shed light on it tonight. Mark 13 and verse 28, Jesus said this, Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When her branch is yet tender and puts forth leaves, you know summer is near. So you in like manner, when you see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh even at the doors. Now, Jesus, in his discourse in Mark 13, also found in uh, Matthew 24 and Luke 23. So in at least three of the Synoptic Gospels, we see that the disciples approached Jesus and said, When will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? 
And Jesus began to expound to them. And he said, well, you're going to see earthquakes in diverse places. You're going to see famines and troubles. You're going to see wars and rumors of wars. You're going to see nation rising up against nation and brother against brother. And he said, when you see these things, know that these are just the beginnings of sorrows, similar to how when, when a woman's time to give forth a baby finally comes, she begins to have those labor pains. And, and, and we know that as soon as her water breaks, then the baby is starting to come, but it's not probably there just yet. There's still a little bit of time. So that's what Jesus was saying. And so he talked about all these different signs, and then he says this. He stops almost at the end, and he said, you're going to see the sign of my coming in the sky. It's going to be like the lightning that flashes from the east to the west. In other words, it's going to be visible to everybody. Everybody's going to see it. Everybody's going to know it. It's not going to be hidden somewhere, but everybody is going to know what is happening. It's going to be a visible coming. And then he says, learn this parable of the fig tree. Now, you've got to understand something about fig trees to understand what Jesus was talking about. A fig tree represents how end-time events, how and when end-time events will begin to unfold. You see, a fig tree can take years to grow its fruit. In fact, a fig tree can grow its fruit, can take up to three to five years to grow its fruit. And while the process of growing that fruit may take years... It will grow that fruit until it is big and thick, but it's still green. And if you try to eat those of that fig tree while those figs are green, it's going to taste yucky. Okay? Like those vegetables grandma made you eat when you were a kid. Yucky. Okay? It's, it's nasty. And so, so the process of growing will take years, but ripening the fruit only takes a very short amount of time. It grows the fruit first, and when it's fully grown, it hides it within uh, its soft, lush branches. It's green and will begin to ripen it once it feels the warmth of summer. And when June and July and the heat of July begin to come, by the end of August, you'll see that fig tree with lush, ripe figs ready to be ate. And only then will the ripening occur within a month or two. So Jesus says this again. Let's read it again. Verse 28. Learn a parable of the fig tree. When her branch is yet tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you know it's getting hot. You can tell it's getting hot whenever you see this fig tree begin to sprout and begin to show its fruit. So you in like manner, when you see these things, what things? The things that he had just got through talking about that were the beginnings of sorrows. When you see those things come to pass, then know that my coming is nigh and it's even at the doors. So growth will take time. But ripening is a quick and a short process. I believe that was the point of our Lord. And you know what? Prophecy has taken a very long time to grow up to this point. As a matter of fact, from 33 A.D. until the year 2022, it's taken almost 2,000 years for us to get to this point of where we are at in our world right now. But Jesus said we will see 
a point where it will quickly begin to ripen and very quickly begin to pick up the pace. And as we get closer to his coming, he said, it will be like that fig tree that suddenly begins to ripen its fruit. And when you see prophecy begin to quickly come to pass and things begin to decline like never before in a very quick succession of time, then you will know that I am just about ready to come back for my church. And when you see these things come to pass quickly, know that Jesus is not. He's even at the doors. Now, this parable represents how prophecy will happen very fast towards the end of the church age. Because the beast is beginning to rise. Now, consider that since Jesus' death and resurrection, that morality has stayed mostly close to the same, especially over the last 17 to 1800 years until right after World War I. And as the world's nations met together to form the United, uh, to form what we know now as the United Nations after World War II, that would establish world governance, world, sorry, world governance. The downfall of morality also began because the beast of revelation started to rise. In power. Now consider that there is a significant increase in a chance of a World War III or some type of global conflict, even now as we are sitting here on this Wednesday night. Uh, this was from uh, these remarks were from General Mark Miley, who is the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. He told the cadets at the 2022 commencement ceremony in West Point, New York, just a few weeks ago, and I quote, he said, the world you are being commissioned into has the potential for a significant international conflict between great powers, and that potential is rising not decreasing. He went on to say later, and right now at this very moment, a fundamental change is happening in the very character of war. We are facing right now two global powers, China and Russia, each with significant military capabilities, and both who fully intend to change the current roles-based order, because we are seeing the beast rise in our day. And prophecy is starting to come to pass very quickly. It's speeding up now uh, with very rapid succession, just like Jesus said it was going to happen. All of the school shootings, I saw uh, one headlines on CNN just a week or so ago that said there were over 19 mass shootings over one particular weekend. That includes the mass shooting that happened in Evalde, Texas, where, you know, I don't know, 20-something kids uh, got slaughtered. And we don't even have to go back 10 years to find out one that was even bigger than that. You know, I, I grew up in the 70s and 80s and on into the 90s. I was a teenager in the 80s, and the thought, you know, of us having any school shootings at all was far out of our minds because to us, schools and churches and healthcare facilities were the safest places on planet Earth. But now, churches are put in a place where we have to have armed security. Because we've seen that happen in churches too, and now healthcare. Healthcare facilities are, the, are in the same boat. Not only that, but all the school shootings, mass riot shootings, are representative of a spirit of lawlessness. And my friend, if you know anything about, about the Bible, as I know you do, that is the spirit of the Antichrist himself. Consider this, that the homosexual agenda that so many politicians are promoting, and listen to this, from a Gallup poll, past studies have shown that 
0.02% to 0.03% at the least, or at the most, 2 to 3% have identified as homosexuals in past generations as early as Generation X, which are my generation that's born between 1965 and 1980. But now a new Gallup poll shows that among Gen Zers who have reached adulthood, that's those born between 97 and 2003, at least 21% now identify as homosexuals, making them the generational group with the largest group of homosexuals. Why? Because of the vile, filthy messages on the mainstream media and social media that have targeted our children. They have been mediums of promotion to the point where it is literally celebrated now in places as early as grade school. And I, you know, I'm not trying to condemn anybody for those that may be listening online or right here. If you are caught in homosexual, if you're a homosexual or a part of the LGBTQA community, we love you. And we want you at this church. When we, and we want to help you get deliverance just like any other type of sin. There is hope in Jesus for everything. But I know because I've got kids, one that just graduated from high school, and they both told me, they said, Dad, you know, when these kids come out, you know, as it were, come out and they announce that, that they're, that, you know, that they're lesbians or gay or queer or transgenders or whatever, they're celebrated. They're celebrated, you know, by, in many times by the teachers, by the students. And again, I don't believe that we should be mean to them and we should treat them as bullies, you know, and, 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 and be disrespectful to them. We ought to love them and all of those things. But, but the... But the fact is that it's being promoted and it is being celebrated. Many school systems now have it built into the school curriculum to promote kids to explore their own sexual identity, even overstepping their boundaries that parents have set at home. You might have read, again, this was on Fox News just a few days ago. There was, there's a school district uh, in the state of Oregon now that is, that is under fire by many parents uh, and by the Parent Teachers Association because they have found pornographic material in their grade school promoting homosexuals and transgenderism and promoting... Uh, these are vivid pictures that were in children's books. And we wonder how this is happening, my friend. It's just like Jesus said, it will happen in a very short period of time. And we look back, you know, just one generation ago, we say, what happened? Where did it all, you know, how did all this sliding happen? It's happening because the beast is rising in our day. The beast of Revelation. Amen. We are seeing the power of the beast rise in our day. Deception will be a major end time sign. Everybody say deception. Jesus warned about false prophets many places over and over and over again in multiple places all throughout uh, the Gospels. You remember that the beast comes with great deception. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It says, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. You mean Satan can perform power and signs and lying wonders? And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Satan will come with signs and wonders to deceive the whole world. Look again from Revelation 13. 
And verse 13 says this, and he does, he, this is talking about the Antichrist, he does great wonders so that he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men and deceives them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. Saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. Very soon, very soon deception will be so great because that beast comes with lying wonders and with great deceptions. He will be... A a worker of miracles to the point where men will fall down and they will worship him as some type of God. Now let me tell you this, all men worship, all men will worship the power of the beast. There are many non-spirit-filled churches, slick pastors delivering a feel-good message to please the masses. The mainstream media, school systems, political parties, and other types of systems have all begun to give their power and their influence over to this beast-like Antichrist system that works against the perfect will of God. All of the world's religious systems and religions will fall down and they will worship the power of this beast. They will wonder after it. All of the false satanic religions of the world will give their power and influence unto the beast. They will promote it. They will give their pulpits to promote it and preach its false doctrines and heresies. False Christianity, Muslims, and Catholic religious systems will all fall, fall down and worship the power of the beast. And we are already seeing the changing of the tides. There are many Christian denominations now who are gay-affirming, preaching a feel-good message of affirmation and allowing people to remain in their sins. They've already began to give their power to the beast because of the power, because the power of the beast has begun to rise in our day. Now listen to this. Please remember, they will worship. Because all men will worship something. And because of that, the world is not moving away from religion, my friend. They're just changing the altar on which they worship. They're just going to switch altars. And instead of sacrificing Isaac on the altar, they're going to sacrifice morality there. And biblical principles and bedrock truths that made this country strong. It will be in those days... When there will be a great shaking and everything that can be shaken will be shaken and blow away like chaff in the wind. Hebrews 12 says this, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, yet once more I will shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word yet once more signifies the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. In other words, there's going to be a storm and a wind that's going to blow so heavily and so hotly. That if you're not firmly grounded in Jesus Christ, my friend, you'll be blown away like chaff in the wind. It's easy to say before the tornado gets here, I'm prepared and I'm ready. But when you hear the sound of that F5 hurricane or tornado right outside your window, and it sounds like a freight train getting ready to run you over, you're going to realize how bad that storm is really going to be and how bad those winds of deception are really going to be. So now is the time to grow your roots down into Christ, down into the Word of God. Get strong. Don't take my word for it. Get in that book. Find out what it says. And you'll either be on the Lord's side or you'll be worshiping the beast. Now, where does all of this lead us? The answer, and I, I you know, when, when I got this message about two months ago, and I thought, I thought, God, I just kind of a negative message. You can't just leave it there. And so I, I really began to pray, and I, I began to search the scriptures. And of all places, I, 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 I really believe the Lord led me to the answer in the book of Numbers. 
probably one of my least favorite books. Can I just be honest, okay? Numbers is what you read when you're two in the morning, you can't sleep. You get up and, and you read Numbers. But from the book of Numbers, listen to this. Numbers chapter 10, verse 33. And they departed. They, this is referencing the, the camp of Israel. They departed from the mount of the Lord three days journey. Everybody say three days journey. That's really important. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them three days journey to search out a resting place for the camp of Israel. And the cloud of the Lord was upon them by day when they went out of the camp. And it came to pass when the ark set forward that Moses said, rise up. Everybody say, rise. Rise up, Lord, and let thine enemies be scattered. And let them that hate thee flee before thee. And when it rested, he said, return. Everybody say, return. Return, O Lord, unto the many thousands of Israel. Now, let's, let's take this verse by verse. First, verse 33. And they departed from the mount of the Lord, and they went three days' journey. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them three days' journey. So, you understand what this means is that when it, when it was time for Israel to move forward, the cloud would move first, and then the priest would take up the ark, and the ark would go out before them and search out a resting place for the camp of Israel. Where is the next place that we're going to go? The camp, that Ark of the Covenant, went to prepare a place for them. Amen. The Mount of the Lord was where Moses received the law. It was Mount Sinai. And it rep, it's representative of the old covenant that came by Moses with Israel. And what led them away from that mount was the Ark of the Covenant, which I don't got time to get into that, but that is clearly a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what led them away from that was the Ark of the Covenant. It went ahead of them three days' journey to church at a resting place. Now look at John chapter 14 and verse 2. Jesus himself said this, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, I'm going to probably cross your theology a little bit here. But Jesus was not just merely speaking of his physical coming back in the rapture. But I believe that he was speaking of his going to the cross and being resurrected. Now, we know that because whenever Jesus got up out of the grave... Where did he go? You know, from Acts 1, he was taken up into heaven by the angels. And then we see from Ephesians 1, where is Jesus currently and physically sitting? Where is the resurrected body of the Savior? Where is he right at this moment? Chapter 1 and verse 20 of Ephesians, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality and powers and might and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Now, we know that Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now, if you take this literally, it means that the Father is sitting in one throne with his hand outstretched. And Jesus, as God the Son, is sitting on top of it. So, you would have to assume that it's speaking figuratively. This is an old Hebraism, as they say. And, and what it means is that whenever you study the right hand of God in the Old Testament, it always is ascribed to the power of God. For example, whenever Israel crossed the Red Sea, Moses, the, you know, uh, sorry, Deborah, and, you know, Deborah took her uh, timbrel, 
her tambourine, Pastor Gary's favorite instrument. <laughs> and she beat that thing, and they sang about the right hand of God. And they weren't literally saying God reached out of the sky with his physical right hand. But it was an anthropomorphismic phrase, which just means we're assigning human qualities to God. Like, like as if God has an ear to hear. He hears. Or he has eyes to see. Or he has a hand you know, to touch. So we ascribe to him things that we have. And so that was the right hand of God. So we know that Jesus seated at the right hand of God as a symbol of power and authority on the earth. That's why we can lay hands on the sick and say, in the name of Jesus, be healed. That's why we baptize in Jesus' name. Because there's no other name. We don't know any other name. We're not Jesus only. We're Jesus everything. Adam lost dominion. Jesus regained the dominion on the earth that Adam lost. It was a three-day journey. So I believe what Jesus was saying was that just as that Ark of the Covenant went three days ahead of the camp of Israel to search out a place for Israel. So Jesus was saying, I'm going on a three-day journey. I'm going to be dead, but on the third day, I'm going to get up out of that grave, and I'm going to ascend into heaven and prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. And he has prepared a place for us. From Ephesians 2 and 6. And he hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know where Jesus sits in a spiritual sense is where we also are seated as far as the, the authority of God on the earth. The church is the authority of God in the sense that we have been given power to cast out demons to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to do everything that Jesus did through the power of his name. It's not any power that I possess on my own or Pastor Gary or anybody else, but it's because we know the one that has the power. It's him. And so that power has been granted to us because we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Now go back to Numbers chapter 10 and verse 35. It says, and it came to pass when the ark set forth that Moses said, Rise up, Lord, and let thine enemies be scattered, and let them that hate thee flee before thee. When the Savior rises, his enemies will begin to flee before him. Now, the ark of the covenant was what was led forth or first into battle. And whenever that ark would go first, they would always win because they had that power of God that went on ahead of them. And when they tried to do it on their own, guess what? They failed. Or when they tried to use, uh, you know, the Ark of the Covenant as some type of hocus-pocus magic, but they weren't living right. <laughs> it don't work right if you're not living right. <laughs> There's no power. There is power in holiness and separation unto the Lord. Amen. So, so when the Savior rises, his enemies begin to flee. Now, the church was established and purchased as a means to destroy the enemies of God. Who are the enemies of God but death, hell, and sin? The cross and resurrection abolished death and destroyed sin. 2 Timothy 1 and 10, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality. Through the gospel, my friend, death has no hold on you because it has been abolished by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
So when, they, when the ark came down, they would say, let thine enemies flee. And sorry, sorry, whenever, whenever the ark would go forward, they would say, rise up, Lord, and let thine enemies be scattered. You know, the church has been given power to march forward in Jesus' name. And we have been given that power because there is a cure for everything that the enemy throws at this world. Jesus told Peter, I'm giving you the keys from Matthew 16 and verse 18. And I say unto you, you're Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Whatever the devil has, God has something greater. And so tucked away within uh, this passage in Numbers chapter 10, verses 33 through about 36, is the church age. And how Jesus said, I'm going ahead to prepare a way. I'm going on a three-day journey. I'm going to prepare a place in heaven for you. And I'm going to seat you beside me in heavenly places in a spiritual sense until we can physically, physically be there in a physical sense in the heaven of God where he has also prepared a place for us. And he said, while I'm there, the ark is going to go forward. The church is going to march onward. And it does not matter what the beast of Revelation does. There is a power that counteracts that beast. And holds it at bay. That's why Daniel 11 says this. And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall be corrupt by flatteries. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. This world is getting ready to see the greatest revival it has ever seen. In the history of the church. There is going to be such a downpour. It is going to far surpass anything that we have ever seen. And it's not just going to happen in liberty. It's going to happen all across our country and all across our world. God is going to shake cities that have been held by liberal policies. Amen. And, and you know... And by crooked politicians, God is going to shake this world from center to circumference. And there will be no presidential executive order that will stop what God has designed to happen. I believe that with all of my heart. For the earth, from Habakkuk, for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I know the beast is rising, but so is God's church, and greater is he that is in you. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. Here's an interesting little fact that I discovered, and believe it or not, I'm almost done. Musicians can come. World War I started in 1914, and the basis for the United Nations would begin to come out of that war. And, of course, we know that the United Nations wasn't officially formed until after World War II. So it would culminate into what we have today so far. And, you know, again, Revelation prophesied of world governance. And for centuries, people laughed at that verse and said, that's crazy. How could there be world governance? And now we're seeing it. It's here. But just eight years prior to World War I, there was a man by the name of William Seymour who came to Los Angeles from Mississippi to preach the apostolic faith. And he found an old abandoned warehouse and an old dirty milk crate. He turned that milk crate upside down, and he put his head in it and began to pray. And the Azusa Street Revival was born. 
For three years, a prayer meeting that would fill thousands with the Holy Ghost and spread Pentecostalism all over the world. It came out of a day and night prayer meeting for three short years. Little did the world know that that eight years after William Seymour put his head in that old abandoned warehouse in a milk crate and began to pray, that eight years the entire world would break out into a World War I that would be, if, if not the worst war as far as we have on record that's ever been in the history of mankind. And then later it would culminate into World War II and would, out of that would come what we know now and can easily see as the beast of revelation that would begin to rise. You see, when the beast wanted to rise, God said, not yet. And God proved that he had other plans. And while Satan was working his scheme out in trying to deceive and, and trying to do everything that he could to try and, you know, and, and fulfill his original intent of world dominance and rulership and to be worshipped as God, God said, I'm going to have my way first. And there's another verse in Revelation that says that there will come a time, let's stand, that Satan will, will know that it's his time and that his time is short. And he will come down with having great wrath, Revelation says. I've always read that and, and, and I've always thought, well, now is Satan's time, but scripturally it's not. There's only two times in scripture that I am aware of where it expressly talks about that it was the devil's hour or his time. And the first one was right before the cross. Jesus referenced it. The hour of darkness has come. This is his hour. He's going to do what he wants. And then the next time that we talk or that we see it being uh, the devil's time or the devil's hour will be for a short period of time for a few years in Revelation where all hell will break loose on the earth. And again, I'm just going on my understanding of eschatological events. And that means that if it was his time before the resurrection, and if it's not his time again until the middle of Revelation, guess whose time it is now? It's our time. It's not his time. You got to get this settled in your spirit. It is not the devil's hour yet. I know he's doing a lot of bad things. I know a lot of bad things are happening. But you know what? God is working behind the scenes. And God is getting ready to shake this world with such a mighty revival that it will literally make us fall to our knees. Our, I don't believe our buildings will ever be big enough. I, I believe that there will be so many miracles. I believe it will be just as Joel prophesied. The vats shall be filled with oil. It shall come to pass in the last day, says God. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And there's going to be a short and a quick work that God is going to make on the earth before he comes back for his church. 
that is sweet through us. And so you know what? The devil will stare at us and look at us in the eyes and make us convinced that he's something big and powerful. You know what? He's nothing but a toothless lion because Jesus knocked his teeth out at Calvary and he got up out of that grave and he gave Peter the keys to the kingdom of God. And Acts 2.38 still works. I don't care how bad this world gets where grace abounded, sin, or where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So it's not the devil's hour in your home. Some of you need to get that settled down in your mind. This is not the devil's time. Your kids may have may not have done everything you wanted them to do. Your marriage may not be going right, but it is not the devil's hour. It's God's hour. It's the church's hour. This is the hour for miracles. This is the hour for signs and wonders. This is the hour for thousands upon thousands to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost right here in this church in Liberty, Missouri, and all abroad. This is the church's hour. This is our hour. So the beast of revelation is rising, but it won't rise more than what God intends for it to rise. Let's lift our hands right now. I just want to encourage your faith tonight. If you're not believing God for something large, why not? I want to just encourage you to enlarge your faith tonight. I want you to think of something really big that you're believing that God can do in your life or for your neighbor, or for somebody. And I want you just to begin to thank God for that and begin to see that that thing is going to come to pass because God said this is our hour for miracles. This is not the devil's hour. This is the church's hour tonight. I want to open up these altars. Would you come and just find a place to talk to God tonight? Thank you, Jesus. You are. 